Welcome to the Adventures of Alice and Bob, the podcast where we get root access to the often unsung heroes of cybersecurity to find out about their journey so far, discuss the events that have shaped their careers and find out what motivates them and see maybe what still keeps them up at night. Today is an extra special uh, episode for us as my guest is none other than Carl Lankford, podcast host here on the Adventures of Alice and Bob and regional vice president of solution engineering at Beyond Trust. After eight and a half years with the Bomgar and Beyond Trust family, and nearly a year and a half of the adventures of Alice and Bob, Carl is leaving us to pursue new opportunities. But before he leaves for his next adventure, we're going to put him in the hot seat and find out about his story. Aside from the podcast, Carl is known for being a highly capable security leader with a really wide range of experience and knowledge. As a technologist, Carl has spent a decade helping to drive product innovation and bridge the worlds of sales and product. He's also a powerful voice in the industry, having been consistently awarded a top-rated speaker at events across the globe. So, Carl, welcome to your own podcast. Hi, James. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. This is going to be a, a fun episode. It's going to be great to just dig into a little bit more about you because um, although we do the podcast together and we work at the same company, actually, we, we work in different teams, different offices. So really enjoying the opportunity to, to dig into your backstory a bit. And I've spent quite a bit of time talking to people and doing research here. So I'm hoping we can dig out some things that maybe you've even forgotten about. Good, good interrogation work, I've heard. So Absolutely. So, our so uh, yeah. <laughs> let's start from the very beginning, Carl, because you weren't always this six foot four figure in cybersecurity. How did you first become interested in technology? Gosh, as a child. So, how old was I? I don't know. I was, I was, I was definitely primary school age. So, over here, that's like five, five to 10, is it? I can't remember. Yeah, something some in that yeah. range. Um, I remember getting our first computer at home. And it was an old um, IBM uh, PS2 computer. And it was it was really cool. Like, I remember seeing it, and one of my dad's friends helped set it up. And we had a game on there, um, which was Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And I always remember playing it. She had like a little circle card. You had to like turn around and work out the code to start playing it. Um, and I started playing with that and then enjoyed the game and then started to realize there were other things running on the computer and broke it a few times. I accidentally deleted stuff, um, had to get my dad's friend round again to come in. And I, I know now, like, basically put the operating system files back on. Um, so so really, it was like quite quite a young age. And I've like quite a fond memory of being at, at primary school and being, I think I was like ahead of the curve with computing and um the, the reason i was i was told that by our head teacher to my parents was because i successfully used a computer to draw a picture of like a little stick man with a with like a smiley face on and that at the time was like you know the pinnacle of innovation in the uh rural west oxfordshire schools so did did quite well from it from an early age there <laughs> and um I heard that actually later on in your sort of secondary school, high school career, you actually got in quite a bit of trouble and got banned from using technology. So how did that happen? I, I did. Um, I guess that's where the grey hat came from. I don't know. It started then. So I, gosh, it was a couple of things. The first one was there was a computer lab with a token ring network. And for anyone who hasn't worked with a token ring network, everything has to be connected for it to work, which... I found very amusing to keep unplugging one machine or just move the cable slightly so everything fell over. So I was like the really irritating child who played with everything and broke it to work out how things worked. Um, <laughs> I guess that that progressed and we, we ended up having a 
TCP IP networked computer environment and it was running Novell Netware. And I remember one day basically giving myself supervisor rights in the domain, as I'd call it now, um, allowing myself to do whatever I wanted. So that was a bit of a pain in the ass. And then um, when my permissions were locked back down, I, I learned a little bit about VBA scripting through Microsoft Office. So to use that to kind of launch applications that were banned and that we weren't allowed to use. Or um, I remember setting up Pegasus Mail on the network so I could email my friends and stuff while we were in the school. Didn't really understand how external email worked at that point. But yeah, it just got to the point where we were told that it's best that I don't use their technology. Um, and I was no longer able to use it and got banned from any of the computer labs or any of the computers at school. So my, uh, my parents uh, got me a laptop because they obviously knew it was quite a passion of mine. Um, and I, I worked from that and that, that came, came in really handy. I had an accident at school. Uh, I severed the tendons in my hand on one side and it was my writing Ooh. hand. So I had this laptop and then basically for nearly two years, just got to use it full time, which was absolutely incredible. Um, learned how to type one handed incredibly quickly and then went back to typing with two hands. But I don't know. It was fantastic because I learned a lot about computers. I think at the time it was fantastic because I learned a lot about playing Grand Theft Auto um, and just basically being able to hide that very quickly, like alt-tabbing out of things and, and carry on work. So it was quite a quite a fun time with all of my friends to be able to sit and play games while you're at school. But you know, to any of the younger audience listening, definitely listening and paying attention and you know following a passion from an early age. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see that that mindset of. Um wanting to understand how things work, solve some puzzles, see how things broke, not necessarily always understanding why they broke, but just trying things out, that sort of early hacking mindset that so many people in security often talk about. Yeah, it was really fun. And like, I, I don't know, I've always been one to enjoy a good puzzle. And it, it yeah. drives a lot of like, hey, this doesn't work now. I wonder what's not working there. And that kind of, I think that kept with me through my career. It was like that just natural curiosity of a, of a child, really. And just really interested in how things work and why they work in that way. So then as you went through kind of post-16 education, how did you start to move towards being in, in the technology industry? Oh, yeah, my first jobs. Gosh, so my, I guess my very first job where I was working with a computer would have been at Toys R Us. That was incredible. What a job. Um, so we all miss I, Jeffrey. We, we all miss Jeffrey. They're coming back online, I hear. Um yeah, basically, my job was to work in Teentronics, which which dates me. Um, and I would be responsible for selling computers and, and helping people work out what they need, which was quite fun. Uh, the flip side of that was there was often some that came back broken, not, you know, as everything is, nothing's perfect. Um, I remember spending a lot of time kind of hacking together computers out of all the broken ones to get them to work again. And then putting those up as like manager specials, which was quite fun. Um, so that was like, I guess... Yeah, probably my f very first informal IT job. Um, my first formal one, actually, was to be an IT technician at a sixth-form school. Um, so I was 17 at the time, um, went to work for a wonderful independent sixth-form school um, in Oxfordshire. It was a really interesting environment because I was, yeah, working with people that were my own age, which was quite funny. So my customer were people I could have been at school with. This was an all-girls school, so a bit different. Um, and I was the IT guy, so I'd go around, you know, we, we didn't have many ball mouses left, but I'll be the one cleaning the ball mice and going, checking things were plugged in and deploying software. 
Um, and that was really, really fun. And I enjoyed it for a while, but then I realized the environment doesn't change that much. So I kind of moved from there into uh, a bit of a bigger environment. I went to work for Oxford University at the Saudi Business School and ran into some fantastic people. And just, uh, I think from that point forward, realized I really like this infrastructure stuff. Like, this is cool. Like, these are the nuts and bolts of making things work and, and dig into it that way. Um, and that's kind of how I got my, my first break, really, was from that. And at the time, obviously, you know, a lot of schools, you were at 17, 18, the IT guy. And this was very common at the time. A lot of things were a lot smaller team-wise than they are today. Was mm. there anyone, like, helping shape you, train you, take you in different directions there that set you on your path? Because I know you've talked in the past about some of the early influences in your career being from those days. Yeah, there was. So there's, there's someone that always really stands out and is very close to my heart. There's a guy called Steve Harvey. Um, I've worked for him for a few times over the years, but he was my boss at the business school. And he was probably the first like proper mentoring figure I ever had in a job. Um, he was absolutely incredible, like really down to earth, very knowledgeable. Um, he had an engineering background. So he was actually an aircraft engineer, moved into IT, which was quite cool. And my dad was an aircraft engineer, so we had kind of similar things to talk about uh, from their days working together. And I, just, I remember a conversation we had, which we were, I was pretty, pretty good at my job. We knew we needed to do more with me. And we were sat down just in a sort of edge of a conference room on the sofas. And he just had a really long chat with me of like, you know, you, you can go on to do great things in this industry, but you need to have some like direction and think about what you want to do and we, we probably spent like I don't know two hours of getting like life advice from each other and it just he set me on a really good path like started driving me towards vendor certifications um really helped me kind of understand the impact of people skills as well and how that makes a big difference in the role um it was just such a good kind of steering hand at that early age and and really helped like keep me passionate about it through the hard times and I think one thing he always focused on, which just kind of stuck with me, is like he would talk about like the the role we had in the wider business, like how we made things happen at the university and how we kind of challenged convention, which was really cool as well. So um, all that, an absolutely lovely bloke. And then uh, even later on when I wasn't working for him, you know, I'd call him when I was introduced to a new technology and say, you know, are you using this at your place? And yeah, and he'd bring me in, give me a guided tour of how they're doing it and like just an absolutely fantastic person and just a, a really, really great role model to have had. I don't know, as you started to move on in your journey through different career roles, you actually at one point were taking on both digital security for the NHS and mm. also some aspects of physical security. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you ended up bridging those two worlds. Yeah, so I, um, I moved from the business school to a software vendor and then moved to the NHS. Um, really fantastic place to work. It was... Uh, at the time called Solutions to Public Health, which was part of Public Health England. They did a lot of what I guess you would call now is like big data, lots of analysis of sort of um, nationwide information, understanding trends and um, hosted a few really cool places like the um, uh, Cancer Intelligence Unit where they sort of really study the impact of treatments and, and how that worked. Um, met some, some fantastic people there. The, um, the thing with the NHS, as we all know, is like it's incredibly rewarding. Um, the thing I found was I needed some more financial incentives. I was like, what can I do where I can do both? And at the time, I made a decision to stop drinking. So for those you know, who knew me 
back then. I was six foot five squared, typical rugby player, love a beer, and then decided I don't want to love a beer anymore. And that was fine. Um, I thought to myself, like, how can I earn a bit more money and also still go out, still experience like the fun of having a night out? And I, I found myself training as a, a security person, so what we'd call a bouncer or a doorman. Um, did my license, so went on my City and Guilds course for how to uh, how to be a good, effective door supervisor. Um, learned a little bit of your, kind of your basics, first aids, and how to interact and treat people and diffuse situations, which was really fun. I ended up working on doors in nightclubs um, for, gosh, two and a half, three years, maybe a bit longer. Uh, at the same time as, as working at the NHS, so it was quite fun. So I'd um, work early mornings, so sort of seven till three, uh, come home, have a bit of a break, and then three nights a week go and work on doors and kind of see the the physical security side of the world, not just the digital security side of the world. So that was quite fun. Um, lots of fantastic stories there. Some of them probably not appropriate for a podcast, but it taught me a lot about the way you first engage with people. And that that's really helped me in my career of just, if you're warm and friendly to a, you know, typically inebriated or slightly vulnerable person, they're generally warm and friendly back. And that translates really well into business as well and into the industry. Like if you are curious and genuine and want to be nice to people, it's reciprocated. And you learn so much about building rapid relationships and making sure people are happy and making sure people are safe. Um, and I guess that's just been a common theme is like that making sure people are safe for me. That's what I've always yeah. enjoyed focusing on. I know when, you know, I've listened to the episodes of the podcast that you're on that kind of social and people and social engineering aspect of something it's something that you really engage with and something you're you're really fascinated in there and did that all sort of start from that time when you were doing the physical security and doing those interactions it did yeah because you you could sort of you know the typical nightclub street right you've got one club here another one opposite you and you can just immediately see the difference in impact that being what i would describe as like a nice polite human versus a bit hard work has and you know, either manifests itself immediately in front of you that you've been, you know, not not the nicest person you could be to somebody and they get upset, right? That's an immediate impact. But you don't have to think like you're setting the tone for the evening for that person. So if you're there and you treat them with respect and you're warm and friendly and welcoming and they know that you're there to kind of help and support them and make sure they have a good, safe night, that the the nights tend to finish that way. Whereas sometimes, you, you know, move to another club, halfway through the night and kind of add more people to to help support them and you've had people that haven't been like that and you can see that that small seed planted early on has influenced the rest of the night and that, yeah. that was one thing that then piqued my curiosity around social engineering and how you can kind of I, I guess you you know you get to the point of later stage manipulation in typical kind of red teaming social engineering type attacks but Actually, before that, you can really set somebody out on a good path or a bad path just based on how you engage and how you talk and, and how you present yourself to that person. So, yeah, it's really interesting. And it, it definitely sparked something in my head of like, this is a cool field. And I always, always kind of kept it close to my heart and enjoyed, I guess, researching and studying and you know, listening to some of the calls from things like DEF CON, where they've got the social engineering village and hearing how some of that goes is just absolutely fantastic. And was it that kind of combination of the technical skills you were learning, the vendor certifications you've been picking up, and then the people skills? Is that what sort of brought you into the world of pre-sales? It was, but not knowingly. Um, okay. So 
Pre-sales is like one of the best kept secrets in industry where for people like me, so I get distracted really quickly. I always say it's, you know, ADHD and it throws me into lots of different places in my head and I find, you know, focusing on different things for long periods of time sometimes quite challenging. So pre-sales for me, I, I got a call off a guy I used to work with, Luke, and he said to me, I've got this job, you've never heard of it, but you'll be great at it. And from being in pre-sales, that seems to be the entry to most people in pre-sales is, I've got this job, you know nothing about it, but you'll be great at this. And I learned that there's this whole industry around being able to just talk to someone, learn about all of their problems, understand their problems, and understand whether you can help them or not, and then articulate that well back to them. And that, for me, was like incredible, because it was like all the best parts of the job I loved. And you can kind of look at my career history. It's like two years, two years, two years, two years. Um, because I would find myself getting a bit, I guess, like less interest or less stimulated by the work I was doing. And then with pre-sales, it's like, well, you're helping a different customer like every day of the week, sometimes multiple customers on the same day of the week for really interesting problems. And I get to like speak to humans and like really understand like what's going on in their world and, and dig into their business. So like every engagement was like this amazing cool slice of this is what this business does and this is how you know we need your help because we've got these types of challenges oh, i can absolutely help with that and yeah it was really really interesting and kind of learning that like you know in in a in a huge timeline like a small slice of what every business is for and how they help people on the planet which is quite fun and that exposure you get in pre-sales is is quite unique really that you get exposed to the the people the businesses the challenges those businesses are trying to solve with the people and the technology and you get to travel around a lot and and from that actually this in my research we've turned up a few stories now <laughs> I, I don't know what the answer to these are i've just been told to prime you on some questions so the first one is what's the most interesting thing you've ever found at the back of a server room oh oh yeah <laughs> i know what this one to be in relation to so um this was fantastic i, I worked at an organization and we this was over in Virginia, in Reston, or just north of Reston. And we went to see a software company that were using some of our threat intelligence products. And um, they said they'd give us a data center tour. So fantastic. You know, always love seeing nuts and bolts and flashy lights. I'm, I'm in. So go in, swipe into the data center. It's absolutely fantastic. Looks like a data center, feels like a data center, smells like a data center. Can't hear a thing. It's incredible. Um, and then there's another door at the back of the room. So, okay, so I like, walk around, swipe into that, open the door. And the only way I can describe this is like, it's this most amazing, almost like New York loft style feeling room with a bar, a pinball machine, and a few other bits in the back. And it was just for the technical stuff. So I, to this day, <laughs> I have no idea if the rest of the business knew it was there, but they wow. had this just like fully equipped bar behind the data center, no other door to it. Um, so we had a beer and it was absolutely incredible there, like just to have this sort of secret, you know, secret handshake type speakeasy in the middle of a data center was absolutely fantastic. Um, so yeah, it's quite a, quite a fun story. One I wasn't expecting that day and we just kind of walked out as if nothing had happened and just snuck it, snuck away in the car and sort of giggled to ourselves. It was absolutely fantastic. I mean, if listeners have any other examples of this, I, I'm really interested in how common these hidden speakeasies at the back of data centers and server rooms are now. Yeah, so, I'm, uh, I'm happy for an invite. I think that would be uh, let's yeah, extend well, it out. <laughs> yeah. Another one I got told to ask you was, um, I should ask you about how things in cybersecurity can get lost in translation. Um, and the hint is on a trip to Spain, apparently. 
Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yes, this is another fun one. So um, invited to Spain. This was a really cool conversation that we were having um, around malware reverse engineering, some technology we had in that space. And we were told to drive to a roundabout. So, okay, let's drive to the roundabout. Like nothing's here, nothing's here, nothing's here. And then, I mean, I guess the best way to describe this is a bit like James Bond getting out of the ocean, but out of the trees, this, this figure emerges and we're like, right, this guy must be for us. Like, how many people are meeting guys in a car on a roundabout, right? This this is for us. So, get, gets in the car. He's in full kind of camouflage fatigues. And we're like, fantastic. Let's do this. Where are we going? And we drive and drive and drive and drive to this kind of, I guess, secret location-ish in Spain somewhere. Um, arrive, and it is a secure military facility. Well, absolutely fantastic. Um, everything you would expect. You know, imagine airport security plus... You know, cars checked, check your bags, scanners, x-rays, so on and so forth. It's wicked. Um, back in the car, continue driving across the site. Uh, and then we get to just a really palatial looking building. Like just this absolutely incredible old, uh, I genuinely think it was like a palace. It was it was fantastic. Um, and we're invited into a room and we're, we have to present of this is what our solution does. This is why we're here. This is what we're talking about. You know, typical kind of engagement. Um, we're told on the way in that nobody speaks English. Right. <laughs> okay, so this is going to be fun. Um, How's your Spanish, Carl? My, my Spanish was suboptimal. Uh, I could order a no beer. Bueno. That was it. Yeah, bueno. Yeah, it was no, no bueno. Um, and basically, we were told there's going to be a guy translating for you. Right, thank God. Thank God. Not going to have to crack out the old dictionary at the time. Didn't even have Duolingo then. That's how, that's how long ago this was. Um so we're trying to explain the nuances of malware reverse engineering and sandboxes through a translator to an audience of incredibly senior figures from the military and uh, the Ministry of Defense. I just remember thinking like, I'm, I'm having to explain the difference between user mode and kernel mode and the differences there and what this means through a translator. And we have no idea whether anyone on the other end is expecting this. And the meeting kind of finished and was just, how was that? Oh, it was good. All right, any feedback at all? Yeah, we'll be in touch. Like we'll we'll kind of go through this, and we're you know it's just such a bizarre. You never really know whether things kind of came across well or not. Um, but yeah, quite a fun trip, and certainly one I'll, I'll always remember. Um, yeah, good highlight of the career that one. Does that is that another aspect to the the pre sale sort of thing you've ended up doing? Is that another thing that appeals just having to think on your feet and adapt as you go? Oh yeah, like changing situations are incredible. Um, you just got to roll with it and it, it's quite fun and there's you know days where you're like oh i've had such a difficult day because all of these unexpected things happen and then you look back on that 10 years later and like that was a really fun day that we basically turn up to you know what felt like this palace in a black site with um just a translator helping us explain the, the very deep nuances of our technology it was uh, yeah absolutely hilarious looking back but at the time yeah it's just you just roll with the punches. The show must go on, as it were. <laughs> well, that actually tees me up quite nicely for my next one. And I promise I'll, I'll move on to some other parts of your career. But I've just been told so many interesting stories. Um, one of the things I've, I've told I cannot do this podcast without asking you is why things aren't always plain sailing in the Czech Republic. Oh. <laughs> and plain is spelt like yeah, plain with an e. oh. in the question I was sent. So, Gosh. Okay. So this is quite a fun story. So... We're flying over to just outside of Prague, uh, gone to meet a couple of people, a couple of customers. Um, 
it was weird anyway because like our hotel got moved and we had to stay in a very specific hotel from a friend of a friend and that that kind of stuff so that was already slightly on edge um but the person we went to meet had their own airplane i was like we want to come <laughs> see our airplane like okay yeah cool sounds cool i, I like a plane i'm into that let's have a look so we go out to this airfield and airfield is like the loosest term no concrete runway it was a field um very much like a flying club type place if you're familiar with it just grass runway uh, one hangar a few planes in there yeah we park next to the hangar there's no i guess formalities around it um out out comes the doors out comes the plane it's got our logo on the side wow that's really cool so we're just like this is amazing took a few photos and like this is great there's uh get in excuse me get, get in right, um what do you mean i'm I'm looking at my friend luke the, the sales guy and just like you've got an 18 month old child luke this is not I, ca I can't not do this if you have to do it so we're both gonna have to do this together so for um for anyone who's met me in real life um you, you'll know my stature in build for those who haven't met me I think the easiest way to describe it is like six foot five cubed or squared, depending on how fit I am at the time. Uh, so at this time I was six foot five squared. So it was quite um, trim, doing a lot of CrossFit because, you know, that's what you did in those days. And um, yeah, jumped in this plane. I'm sat in the front. Luke's jumped in the back. Headsets are on. We're going to start taxiing around to the right side of the runway. We're told, right, um, it's going to be a bit rocky taking off. Okay. Yeah, there's like... I think I can't remember if it was nine or nineteen um not side winds and there's a limit on the airway of when you're allowed to take off and it was like one below the threshold. So it was either nine or ten or, or or twenty, I can't remember. And anyway, I'm like, that's enough to panic me anyway. So I asked a logical question. So how many hours have you been flying for? How <laughs> how many times have you done this? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, about thirty-five hours. Sorry? Oh. Le less than one working week of flight experience. Okay, right. So now my heart's just like pounding, 1,000 beats a minute. Like, right, this is how I die. Right, um, I let my wife know, just like, what, what do I do here? And then I realize something is hitting me in my legs. and just like constantly banging at my knees and my thighs. I'm like, what is this? And it's the flight controls. I'm in the passenger seat of this sort of four-seater Cessna. And... I said to the guy on the radio, I'm like, you know, none of this moves. And we're just sort of coming up square onto what would be the runway. So, yeah, just figure it out. All right, but you're, you're like moving the controls and they don't move because they hit my legs, which means like when you need to take off, you can't like pull back on the stick because my, my legs are going to stop this. He's like, yeah, well, you'll need to move. I'm like, <laughs> all right, but there's only so much I can move inside a four-seat Cessna when you're six foot five squared. So now I'm absolutely bricking it and I'm like trying desperately to sort of half stand up but move and then thinking this is going to sound incredible on the black box recorder. Um, and then we take off and we have this absolutely terrifying takeoff. We go up and immediately like pan right, you know, the, the whole plane just completely moves across the sky. Um, get up a couple of thousand feet and we do this incredible low level tour of Prague and I wouldn't say I relaxed into it. I just didn't fear imminent death for the sort of 15, 20 minutes we were in the air. And then I started to realize, well, what goes up must come down. Like how <laughs> <laughs> We've got to land this plane, quite literally. 
And I remember about the crosswind and we're, we're kind of coming back around to the airfield and I could feel like Luke's eyes burning a hole in the back of my head. And I wish I could look around and see his face at the time. I was just sort of frozen in sort of quasi fear. And um, yeah, we're coming down and we're nowhere near the runway. We're just sort of coming down in what looks like the field adjacent to the airfield that we took off from. And uh, yeah, basically as we're coming down, the crosswinds get us and just push us over into the right field and we land incredibly bumpily get off and um at that point it was like right we need to go get our actual flight home now like praying and thanking the lord that we're back on solid ground and in one piece absolutely drenched on the inside with just fear sweat and the adrenaline is like kicking in like let's just get to the airport now let's just we just need to go home we just need to go home so quite a quite a funny story looking back on it but at the time absolutely terrifying and um yeah thankfully lived to tell the tale there you go so if anyone's thinking of a, a career in pre-sales i think those are some quite exciting stories that might inspire them to either run away from it or run towards it i'm not sure which which they would do actually um from those days different vendors you work for different things you then found yourself at uh bombgar now beyond trust yeah how did how did you come to be at uh bombgar in the early days so for me um Things were going quite well with my, my wife, and not wife at the time, just at the half. We thought we'd uh, get a house together. And working for a startup, obviously that comes with certain financial challenges, and we were like, I need the stability. So I started to look for really cool companies in the sort of area I work and live in. Um, it came across Bomgar, and I think anyone who ever heard of Bomgar went, who? Uh, what's that? And it turns out I'd actually deployed this at one of my jobs and not realized that physically racked the servers in the data center. Um, and it was just a really cool company with amazing people. And I went through the kind of, you know, imagine you're a traditional interview process, met some fantastic characters like Stuart, Will and Boatner and uh, Simon as well. And the interview went really well. And I thought, oh, I, could, I really like this, but there was something that always stands in my head about like how special that time was. And, we were walking out from the final interview panel and I'd been in the office for probably about four hours of intense interview, Q&A, present, that kind of stuff. Um, and out in the car park, there were two people, Charlotte and Stuart stood there and they just asked me on the way out, like, how'd you get on? And I was like, oh, you know, actually, this is like six o'clock at night. You're still here and you, you care. Like, that's a big tick. And we ended up having like nearly an hour and a half conversation in the car park about what it's like here and how great the people is and the kind of whole mission in the business and, and the, the way forward and the direction they wanted to take it. And it just sounded like this amazing, incredible place. And it absolutely has been. And just been an incredible journey through, gosh, what, four different acquisitions and growing in my role and looking after a team here and, you know, being just such a, such a great place to have been for so long. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, and I, you know, I joined here as an SE into senior SE into leadership into then um, kind of trying my hand with different technologies and, and helping out and getting people up to speed with them. And it's just been an absolute blast. So that was, that was kind of how I found out about it and moved into it. Um, some incredible times here as well. Yeah. And obviously eight and a half years of Bomgun now beyond trust. Like you say, there's all the acquisitions, all the technology, all the people that have come together. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here and say, what are you actually, what's the thing you're most proud of during your time here? Oh, there's a lot. And there's a lot internally in the business as well, where 
you know, we've been able to like coach and manage and grow people and watch, watch people just develop into incredible, incredible experts in their field. Um, the, the big one for me and one I can kind of share externally is, um, it's actually a case study on the Beyond Trust website was, uh, working with the Welsh NHS, NHS Wales during the pandemic. Um, and I'm really proud of this cause it's, it's not often in your career where you can tangibly say like we had such a positive impact in the world. Like, you genuinely, yeah, we're a lot of the time in defensive cyber, you are saying we're stopping bad things happening. And this was just one of those times where we're actually able to facilitate something absolutely incredible and provide like a really positive impact on frontline services. So, um, yeah, mid pandemic, we needed to get people to in frontline doctor surgeries and, and staff providing you know, care to, to actual people um, access to their systems. And everybody was told, you know, they can't go to the office, they can't go home, they're gonna have to work from anywhere they can and on any device. And you know, we heard about this on the Friday, had a good chat, um, clubbed together on the weekend with the team at NHS Wales and figured this out and delivered it and got it working. Um, it was just one of those moments where you're like, nothing matters apart from can we solve this problem? And it was absolutely a joy to work with the team. Um, you know, by Monday, we rolled it out in one place. Four days later, 10. Within two weeks, 308 practices. And it, it was legitimate making a difference in the world. Like GP practice staff actually being able to continue to dispense medicine and support vulnerable individuals in a pandemic and make sure they can stay healthy. Like absolutely incredible part of my career and something I'm really proud of to have worked on with the team there. Um, just, uh, you know, incredible, absolutely incredible time. Really loved it. And there was a really fantastic quote, which was basically, um, we are a genuine partner with a sincere, fair and proportionate response to a challenge. And that that's what you'd always dream of hearing from a customer is like, it wasn't about the dollar. It wasn't about chasing the sale. It was, are we doing the right thing for the people? And are we doing the right thing for the right reasons? And it was just, yeah, incredible. And I'm, yeah, really proud to have been just a small part of that. I think that's a, that's a lovely example. And it's just such a, I'm going to say it's such a very Carl thing to have focused on, you know, that, that thing that you talked about at the very start where, you know, you were mentored and told to understand the business's problems, understand other people's problems and mm. how the technology can solve them, not just pushing technology in front of people. And actually that's probably an interesting thing at, that, when we think about cybersecurity and careers in cybersecurity, people are often thinking red teaming, pen testing, mm. you know, all this kind of capture the flag kind of things. But for someone who's interested in security and technology and wants to be hands-on, you know, we've talked, mentioned pre-sales and some of the things that you like about it, but what would you say to someone who's interested in security and technology that a career in, in pre-sales in this area can offer them? I think the biggest thing is the variety of challenge, right? And that, that was like something I've always gravitated towards and why I've loved pre-sales is, Every company is different and every organization's needs are different. And you get to spend that time with that organization to understand why. And so you get this amazing little like slice of culture from every place you work with. And that for me is like where, where I find pre-sales is this really special, like, I guess, junction between just doing security and technical things and actually impact and understanding how this will improve a business or improve somebody's kind of experience and you know a lot focused there on the customer experience and the customer outcomes um yeah. 
it's 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 a tricky field to get into because you have to have this like almost core bank of knowledge around how things work and hang together um and then overlay that with and what do people generally need from technology and what do outcomes look like in a business um so in terms of like getting into the field i'd say like if you're naturally interested in peaked in technology like continue to explore down those routes but also if you are in a role where you're already working with technology like ask the questions as to like why is this important for the company i'm working at like you know i i provide it support right why is that really important to this business like how, how am i helping as part of that bigger picture and like try to kind of understand and explain that to yourself and then i think your kind of perception on roles really change because you could quite easily go you know i'm, I'm just on a help desk it's like actually no you are the person that people come to in probably some of their biggest times of needs and the biggest times of their frustration and you are the expert with a solution like that's immense for an organization and immense for an individual like you know how thankful some people can be that you've solved their problems and i think that's what makes it really special is when you take that sort of wider lens you, you really get a feel for okay cool and this is a big part of what we do as a business and this is important and this is why why the job matters and someone who's someone who's worked as a hands-on IT practitioner, who's built and let's call broken networks, and then gone into kind of the vendor side of things. I'm interested in what your overall perspective of the industry is, and if you say if you could change one thing, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the industry, what would that be? Mm. So yeah, my overall perspective, I think th things are good, right? Like this is a great great industry to work in, and it's so diverse, it offers a lot to everybody, which is fantastic. I think the thing that can be lost, particularly in security sales and industry, is that you forget about customer outcomes. And you know, through all the stories, through all the chats people have with me, like that for me is always my first priority, is like, how are we going to dramatically improve things for you? Like, what is it we need to change? Because often technology is just like one small part of the, the whole process that people have to go through. And so if I'm way, way, uh, waving a magic wand, I would say like more vendors to spend more time focused on how are you actually helping? How are you actually moving something forward as an outcome? Not just are we here chasing the dollar? Um, and it's really tough to say that obviously working in a go-to-market role, but actually I think it, it benefits everybody and the industry as a whole, you, you know, you get a lot more respect and credibility from doing the right things, even though they're hard and having good integrity. Um, so yeah, for me, that would be the big change I'd like to see um, is that more people place the customer first than themselves. I think that's a lovely, lovely piece of advice for the industry and definitely something that will resonate with a lot of the listeners who've had those sales conversations and the difference between someone who wants to understand and help them solve the problem and someone who wants them to just sign a PO and move on. Mm. It, it, you know, there's a vast difference there. Um, moving on from the that career aspect, you've obviously been a, a host on the adventures of Alice and Bob, but I believe that isn't actually your first podcast. My research tells me that you actually uh, were one of the early pioneers of podcasting. So tell us about that. Yeah, back when it back before it was cool. Um, <laughs> so I mentioned earlier as a bit of a CrossFit W, and a lot of people know what the W means. Um, basically, back in the day, God, when was this? Ten, eleven years ago, something like that. Maybe a little bit less, nine years. I don't know. So close to a decade i'm getting old now um me and a couple of friends who were trained together decided we would launch our own podcast called the gluten gurus 
um <laughs> and the three of us would kind of talk about what we did and why and our kind of i guess personal interests in health and nutrition and training and i you know, i'd kind of gone on a bit of a transformation with my body and what that felt like and you know, um there were some quite like high level athletes that spoke on there um it was kind of a bit like this it's sort of like telling some of the untold stories um yeah. it it kind of prepared me in a way for this because podcasting is really hard and I was absolutely terrible at it to begin with there. And, and, you know, also I was used to joke here that I was quite bad at that at the start. And, you know, as soon as you kind of get a bit more comfortable and your personality starts to come out, it becomes a lot more engaging. So yeah, not my first rodeo. Um, I don't think it's on iTunes anymore, but you could probably find it in Google. If you look for it, see an old picture of me smiling around a microphone, but yeah, it's not my first one. <laughs> <laughs> we won't draw too much on the gluten gurus but it's been fantastic you know having you as a host here on adventures of alice and bob what have been some of the standout conversations for you in your time oh you're asking me to pick a favorite child that's really hard no. you can pick <laughs> more than one favorite if you more want. more than one favorite i'll go more than one favorite yeah so go I, for it you know there's a few that really stand out to me um chris kirsch from run zero like incredible yeah. absolutely loved that conversation we spoke so much about you know the psychology element and the kind of social engineering side which i absolutely adore just really come away from that like what a fantastic fantastic conversation um alice was incredible as well like just Dennis, yeah yeah i mean wow like incredible career love the fact it was kind of from a, a non-technical background that she got into cyber um, but also, like, we spoke a bit about, you know, how she has to juggle all of her priorities, like, as a mum, as a leader in the industry, as, you know, having a job to do as well. Like, it's absolutely fantastic and just a really inspirational character. Um, really enjoyed Chris Roberts. Uh, so I know quite a recent episode, like, um, I think the best way to describe it was just, like, clicked really well and just had such a blast chatting. Um, really interesting, lovely person. Um, followed him. Uh, all over and just love some of the outlooks he has and some of the messages he posts like just a, a really really fantastic character and someone i just feel i guess richer for meeting so they're probably my, my top three um i'm sure there's lots more and uh, you know they're going to come to me oh, bill was cool like breaking into buildings sick uh jenny radcliffe like what an absolute legend um don't think i've met anyone that's been terrible so it's been it's hard to choose like they're all absolutely incredible people but yeah they're, they're probably my top ones and you were saying there that, you know, some of them you've gone on to follow and, and do other things and engage other things because of the conversations you've had there. So what, what have you learned from doing the podcast? I think the thing for me is like, I always had this perception of like, you need to know a lot about a lot. And that's really, really hard to do. And like to be a specialist in an area, like one small area is a career. And it, it kind of showed me that you don't, like don't set yourself an unrealistic goal of being an expert in everything. And like, it's okay to be curious and go and find out more about something and ask rather than trying to learn it all yourself and, and then go and ask. Um, so I think that's probably my biggest takeaway is like, there are some absolutely incredible people on this planet. There's a fantastic community in our industry where people are genuinely welcoming and wanting to answer questions of curious minds. Um, take advantage of it and like actually ask the question don't don't wait because you don't feel you're qualified to ask um, and you'll be amazed at what you can learn so like absolutely fantastic 
Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. The number of times you join things and you think, I don't know anything about this, but you just start probing around and asking things and you start building those connections to things you do know. And it just it's just really interesting to dive in and not not um, hold back and think, I, I can't talk to this person. I don't know enough about this area because people are so generous in giving knowledge and sharing things with us on the podcast. It's um, It's just a wonderful experience. I'm actually going to go now and steal some of your questions that you've come up with to ask uh -oh. on the podcast, Carl. So I'm going to say, <laughs> what question do you wish I had asked you today? Hmm. Joe, we didn't really talk much about, I guess, where to learn and like where where to find some of the areas to ask those questions or opportunities to ask those questions. So let's let's take that one. So. For me, like I, f I find it, it, it's almost like a full-time passion just to keep up with what's happening, right? So much changes in this yeah. field, it's incredible. Um, and I've spent years going to events as an exhibitor, as a speaker, as a delegate. And one thing I've always enjoyed and I think got the most out of our community level events, so like B-sides type events. Um, and I would rate those for anybody of any experience level just to go and get involved in it. Um, you know, I've had some really fond memories of, you know, learning a bit of lock picking at them right the way through to trying to deeply understand from the back of a room poorly, the, the, the ins and outs of Android security. And it was way beyond me, but just like the bits I did pick up were so fascinating. And then you're obviously, you're in a room with people that want to be there and engage. And so everybody is so open and happy to talk. And you know, a lot of the B sides events are just absolutely incredible. And of course you're then supporting local people in local organizations too um which is really really special um so I'd, I'd say if anyone's ever interested like just take a look on the b-sides website typically they're all listed in the calendar and just have a go like lean in and see if you like it and go to a few of them and there'll be topics that you find incredible there'll be topics that are way out of your depth like i was with the, with the android security stuff like no idea but it was fa fascinating to hear and you know thankful that there are people researching that so that that would be i guess the one missing question yeah i think it's a, it's a lovely way as well for people who are want to learn more about the industry want to change careers in the industry mm. and I, I talk to people who say what should you do and i often recommend the you know the b-sides events the SteelCon in sheffield there's all kinds mm. of regional events but they're actually a lot more accessible than the big expensive cyber conferences so you can go to something like a black hat and you pay hundreds of dollars for a ticket and you do get to see some really interesting research but if you go to something like a b-sides there's often a lot more variety they're free basically to go to or minimal cost things like steelcon mm. it's just covering the cost of setting the event up and the really important thing is they have things like kids tracks so you can bring your family along yeah. you can sit there and learn to code and play scratch and solder badges and all these fantastic things so even though it's on a saturday you've got you know you can bring your family along you can have great stuff you can learn things and you just become swept up in this wonderful community of people who are just so passionate about what they do that even if you don't fully understand it or you, you feel invigorated just from them talking about it. Oh, you definitely do. And like, I've always come away from them with that like warm feeling of like, how great was today? Today was incredible. I've had so much fun and I've learned so much. And like, there's a lot of people here who also care. And that, that's just like a wonderful thing to come away from these events from. Is it's, you know it's their passion. It's not just what they've been told to do um which is really cool like, i love it absolutely love are there, it are there any other resources online resources books training courses anything like that you recommend outside of those conferences perhaps oh there was there's a really good book um i read recently which was basically uh talking a lot, a lot more about 
taking that kind of purple team mindset. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got your red team, you've got your blue team, and then you've got your purple team, which kind of overlay both together. Um, God, what was it called? The Active Defender. And it's uh, it's called, yeah, The Active Defender, Immersion in an Offensive Security Mindset um, by Catherine Ullman. And it was like a really lovely read. It's not too long. Um, and it's just absolutely incredible of like taking this hacker mindset to things. And again, like Ted Harrington's book is fantastic about that. Like Think Like a Hacker and his TED Talk is, is brilliant. Um, but it, it will, I, I think even from reading that, it's really helped me in my career. And it's a really nice kind of perspective on how to implement cybersecurity, which was fun. Um, a bit before that, or I guess a bit more hands-on, like there's a lot of labs available. Like, And I know everyone sort of gravitates towards offensive, but things like Try Hack Me or Security Blue Team have some fantastic like, entry-level courses where you can actually get your hands-on with a bit of technology. And one thing I liked about some of the Security Blue Team ones and, and shout out um, for the OSINT track is it feels like you're in this kind of like real world scenario and it's really like well geared up and you can step through like, right, I'm going to do this and Google that and find these things. Um, and so that, that's quite, quite a cool place to go. Um, there's also, gosh, um, Case Academy is another one, I think, which is quite fun if you're interested in the kind of OSINT side of life. Um, they do, again, like scenario scenario-led stuff which is great so good fun thank you that's um some good things to point people out and we'll try and put as many of the links as we can in the, the podcast description so people can follow along uh, producer ben sorry about all the homework we're giving you there yeah loads of work to do there ben sorry mate yeah. <laughs> so uh, as you move on in your journey carl you're off to do uh, new things how mm. do people get in touch with you or find out what you're up to next um i don't do much on social media so the probably the best way is linkedin um, I do read all the messages. Sometimes I forget to reply to them, so apologies if I've, I've left you hanging. It's not personal. It's just harass me because I get distracted. Um, so, yeah, anything um, anything you want me for is probably the best place is LinkedIn. Just hunt me down. I'm Carl Langford. You'll see my face. Um, there's not too many people with the same spelling of my name, so I'm easy to find. That's great. Well, unfortunately... I'm very sad to say that's all we have time for on this special episode of Adventures of Alice and Bob. It's been such an enjoyable conversation today, Carl. I've really enjoyed the, th- the stories you've shared with us. Thank you as well to the people who gave me those stories in the in the research phase. So people from your teams, <laughs> past and present, have all been very keen to contribute. And the thing that's really clear from the conversation today with Carl is he's not only passionate about the technology, but cares really deeply about that real-world impact that it has on people, making their lives better and more secure, And everyone I spoke to actually when researching this podcast pretty much told me the same thing. Carl will always do what is right and not what is easy. And I think that's come through in the stories you've told there. So I'd really like, thank you, Carl, for your time today, for being a fantastic podcast host, a prior gluten guru, a colleague, a mentor, (laughs) a friend. And I know all the folks here at Beyond Trust wish you all the best for your future endeavors. Thanks as always to super producer Ben and the team at Beyond Trust who made this happen. Carl, do the honors, sign us off one last time. You just make me well up before you ask me to do the hard work, James. Gosh, thank you. Um, well, I'm Carl Langford. Um, thank you to everybody who has not only listened to this episode, but has grinned in bed through the early ones, the guests that you know I was with and had to go through. Like, Thank you so much for being a part of my life. And um, just this has been an absolutely incredible journey. And, and thank you for letting me tell my adventure of Alice and Bob. 
Thanks for listening to the Adventures of Alice and Bob podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and share this with colleagues that'll get value from it.